Hogan and I occasionally give a joint talk, and we each had a different uh, subject, but somewhat related, we wanted to talk about this morning, so we're going to give, each one of us will give half, half the talk. I wanted to talk about impermanence for several reasons. One is it's fall. We all felt fall come a few days ago. Somehow we can feel it. Even though the days are bright and sunny, somehow something changes in the in the, in the weather and something changes at night and we feel like, oh, fall has arrived. And of course, there are a lot of transitions like going back to school, uh, those who are teachers going back to teaching. <laughs> I have a few of you in mind, <laughs> one of whom retired several times. Actually, you two need to talk. Both of you have retired several times. And we have the end of the summer program, so we have uh, we had some transitions in people who are here for the summer, and then some stayed, and then some of them are transitioning out. And we had our uh, Obon Jizobon festival yesterday. Obon marks the fall season in uh, Japan, and it's a time when um, people celebrate the harvest and come together to remember their families and, in particular, people who have died. We did our uh, Jizobon ceremony yesterday. And people painted lanterns, and on the lanterns you can paint the names of people who have died. So it's a time of remembering people who are no longer here. And in Japan, there's a week during Obon when the spirits of those who have departed can come back. The doors are open between this world and the next, and they can come back and visit you, and you can uh, remember them. And then at the end of the week, they are guided back to the place where they now reside, or the realm in which they now reside. Also, we're having a week of vacation starting tomorrow, so the month's starting in a few minutes, so uh, people are going on camping trips, going back to see their families, so that's a transition from for us because we don't take many weeks of, of vacation. So I wanted to talk about impermanence. Impermanence is one of the three marks of existence in Buddhism. So for those who are used to Judeo-Christian doctrine or theology, Buddhism is very different. Uh, We talk about very different ideas that are foundational. So there isn't a creed that you have to recite and believe in, but there are essentially questions that are posed And you're invited to investigate those questions for yourself to see, are they true in your life? And some of those questions are contained in the three marks of existence. So the three marks of existence are, number one, impermanence. So we're invited to investigate impermanence. Number two, unsatisfactoriness, basic unsatisfactoriness. It's called dukkha, also called suffering, also called stress. It's translated in different ways. But it means that baseline feeling of something is not right. Something is not quite right. And we don't know what it is that's off. So we try various over-the-counter solutions. So we try uh, eating more desserts. No, that didn't do it. Uh, Then we try getting a new car. Well, that did it for about three weeks, and then it got a scratch on it. And then we try, um, oh, I'll go shopping, I'll get some new clothes, or I'll buy something on eBay, or... Usually it's stuff. We want to try to get stuff or put stuff into our bodies, and we think, okay, that will relieve that baseline feeling of something is not 
quite right. Something is out of kilter. I know that this isn't exactly how things could be in my life. So that's dukkha or suffering or un- basic dissatisfaction or unsatisfactoriness. And then the clinging or pushing away that comes from that. And then the third is impermanence. And impermanence means, it's kind of obvious, some of the truths of Buddhism are obvious, but if we don't really accept them and live them, we, we, we do suffer. Yeah, not self. Uh-huh, I'm sorry, I said impermanence. The third is no, is no self. That doesn't mean you don't have a body that's sitting here and you don't have a name and you weren't born in a certain place. All that is true. But it means that this self is constantly changing. So the self is imbued with impermanence is imbued with with um, transition. So I often ask people, if somebody showed you a baby picture of yourself, how would you know that's you? Do you have any real evidence that that's you, except that people said that's you, or maybe your name is written on the back and a date is written on the back? You have no evidence that that's you. You maybe have a few fleeting memories from when you were a baby, or usually around two is when people start making some memories. But that person when you were two is not the person you are now, thank goodness, for impermanence, I guess. So I want to look at the one, the one um, mark of existence, impermanence. <laughs> so Im- impermanence is something that we can observe. We can do a little meditation if you just sit as you're sitting now and close your eyes. And observe the impermanence of the sensation of touch. So there's the touch of your clothing. Just notice, is that permanent or is it changing? There are the sensations of breathing, we call movement, but actually there are, those are a succession of touches linked together in our mind, we call them movement, but they're actually touch, 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 touch. So is the breath somehow permanent, or is it impermanent and constantly changing? How about what you see with your eyes? With your eyes closed, you can still see, right? You can see light and dark and color. And is that something that's fixed, like a movie scene that freezes when the DVD doesn't work? and everything freezes in time, or is it changing? And how about what you're hearing? Is what you're hearing static? Is it just the same, or is it changing? So that's a mini meditation on impermanence to show us directly through our own experience, not just because I say it or the Buddha said it, but to show you impermanence through your own direct experience. And this is a very beautiful meditation to do throughout the day, observing impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. Is it true? With the question, is it really true? So we have to consider What are the benefits of impermanence? It's a fact of our life, right? And if we're fighting against it, then we're suffering, causing friction or stress or dissatisfaction. 
So to accept the truth of impermanence, we have to consider what are the benefits of impermanence? Anyone? Yes, so it's a comfort to us when we're in a difficult situation to know it's not going to last forever, whether that's pain or whether that's family troubles, whatever it is, to know, oh, I remember during final exams in college, I used to say, this time next week, I'll be done with all of this. And that was a comfort. What else? What are the benefits of impermanence? Delightful things don't last forever. Delightful things don't last forever, and that is probably good. Why? You get tired of them, yeah. So consider your favorite dessert. First helping, yum. Second helping, good. Third helping, okay, that's enough. No, fourth helping, fifth helping, sixth helping. You just keep eating it, and what happens to the pleasure? Goes away, right? Because there's no contrast. So even even good things, things that we really appreciate, we need a contrast. So impermanence provides that contrast. What else? What are benefits of impermanence? Day and night. Yeah. If it were day all the time, that might be a problem for us. We're kind of used to having some dark and some time to sleep, and probably the whole world is adjusted to that, including the plants we know. Breathe at night. Photosynthesize during the day. Breathe out their byproduct, oxygen, which we breathe in. Take our byproduct, carbon dioxide, and breathe it in. Other, other, gratitude. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if it were permanent, there would be no gratitude, right? We'd lose the contrast, and it's like, oh, yeah, chocolate mousse all day long, okay. <laughs> but when we don't have chocolate mousse all day long and we have it, we're, gra- we're grateful for it. Grateful for that change, that, that pleasure. Anything is possible, yes. So we can transform. Right? That's the chief benefit, is we can transform, we can change. And that's the promise of our practice, of our spiritual practice. New energy, energy, yes, for those of us who are getting older, we get tired and we have new energy when we wake up in the morning. Isn't that wonderful? New people, new people. What if you only saw the same people all day, every day, the rest of your life? That would be not so interesting after a while. Not possible. Well, we're, we're saying if there were no impermanence, right? We're just considering the benefits of impermanence. And the people around you are changing, which is nice too, right? So growth. Growth and change are really important, James. And they were scared of it back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, my only experience is in the movies, but if you live into these kind of things for a thousand years, then you would you would feel trapped and there would be no room for new people, right? The, the, if there were no death, the world would get cr- more and more crowded. We have to die to give room for new life. <laughs> it teaches us unattachment. It teaches us to let go. When we really accept the truth of impermanence, then we have to continually let go, and that becomes part of our life. So those are some of the benefits of impermanence. There are lots more if you think about it, if you ponder it. If you ponder it, there's lots more. Like plants wouldn't grow, right? <coughs> that would be the end of gro- plant growth, so we'd have no food and so on. If things got frozen. So, frozen in time. So now we have to consider the downsides of impermanence. What are the downsides? 
you mentioned one, Thomas, which is pleasurable things disappear. That's a downside and a benefit. But losing people we love or having people we love change. Maybe they loved us and then they left us, or maybe they had a car accident and now they're in vegetative state, or losing things we love like our strength as we get older, or our health as we get ill. And then the people that we love, as we celebrated yesterday, transition out of this realm where we can touch them and talk to them directly. And that brings sorrow to our hearts because we'd like, we'd like them to stay in our lives. Yes, nothing you can work for you won't inevitably lose. So when we do our meditations on death, we look at, okay, in 200 years, who will remember you if they saw a picture of you? Maybe if they're really, really hot on Ancestry.com. They, they've, got a, they've got a picture of you and a date of birth and date of death and maybe some information about what your career was. Oh, my great-great-grandfather... I've been, I was just visiting my sister, so I was doing this. My great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather was a riverboat captain on the Mississippi River, and he fought in the Confederacy because he lived in Missouri. Okay, that's interesting. But is that person alive to you? Not really. Not really. So it's really interesting to ponder advantages and disadvantages of impermanence and watch impermanence happening. So is there anything that does not change? That's the next question that arises when we look at impermanence. Is there anything that does not change? So the Buddha's answer to that was, all conditioned things, this was based on his direct observation, all things that are conditioned, that come about through cause and effect, are constantly changing and are marked by impermanence or flux is another word that's used. Constant change, constant flow, constant flux. But he also said there is something that does not change. It's called the unconditioned, because it doesn't depend on cause and effect. And that unconditioned is what we really look for and are longing for when we feel that dissatisfaction. We know that something's missing from our experience, which is that unconditioned, which lies underneath all that change and actually is characterized by change but it itself does not change so whatever we call that whether we call that the ground of being whether we call that Buddha nature whether we call that original nature whether we call that God there are many 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 names for it but they're all pointing to the same thing something that is without age without birth without death without boundaries, and is fundamental in our lives. But if we don't experience it, we're unhappy. We experience suffering. So that's what, what our practice is about. Can I experience that thing that I know is missing? Something is missing from my life. And our practice helps us clear away what's obscuring our experience of that, which is there, but we can't experience it so that we can experience it fully. And when we touch it, there are moments when we touch it, we just feel so wonderful. We call them peak experience moments. And then, it, because of impermanence, that experience disappears, and then we long for it again. So we are 
through our practice, increasing the chance, increasing the chances that we will experience that which is permanent and unchanging, and unconditioned. Of course, out of it comes all change. So we call that the identity of relative and absolute, that that which does not change and is unconditioned is the foundation for constant change and everything that is conditioned, that they're two sides of the same coin. But usually we only experience the change side, but we're longing to experience the unchanging side, and that's why we practice. Now, Hogan wants to talk about something. No, I'm done. I'm done. It's like there's nothing left on my papers. My talk was impermanent. It's gone. Bye. interesting giving a talk to people who just walked in off the street and don't know a thing about this and people who could be giving this talk, you know, who've been heard it hundreds of times and to find something that's a common denominator between both of those groups is always interesting. Of course, the common denominator is that, our, is that we're alive. Everybody feels alive. Everybody has this sense of, I'm alive, I'm here. And that sense of aliveness is with us all the time. The shape of it changes, of course, but the sense of aliveness is always there. And because we lose track of the sense of our own aliveness, our, which is fundamentally our own awareness, our own awareness of the tingling life energy, and we get sidetracked by all the things that are changing in there, we lose confidence. So the advice to people who walk in just first time here, and the advice to people who've been doing this for decades, is... Always, always, always turn your mind right here, right now to that which, that sensation of I'm alive, I'm present. And of course it's found in the sensation of our hands, our feet, how the feel looks. And that gives us a stability and a confidence. We just finished a very big uh, summer program, lots and lots of people coming through. I was, I was talking to somebody downtown and I was saying that in the Zen community of Oregon, the larger group that we have here, Heart of Wisdom and Great Val, every single day, seven days a week, for almost the entire year, there's at least 40 to 140 people to take care of. There's, you know, we have this group here. Simultaneously, there's a group meeting in Portland. Tonight, there'll be another group meeting in Portland. This afternoon, there are probably meetings. So throughout the day, this community, 140 to 140 people are probably more take care of every every single day. And that takes a lot of people to do that. It takes a lot of people to embody the teachings, a lot of people to manifest the Dharma. And so our hope is for everybody here to rouse the aspiration to help somebody else. Whatever little thing we understand, we do our best to share it in whatever way we can share it. And in this way, we take care of ourselves by cultivating the wisdom that's here, and we also take care of others. And we also share and help the ripples of truth to spread out. So having this very, very busy summer where we would have large retreats and we had, what, 70, 80 people here yesterday, have this group today, and we're taking a little vacation. We decided 
earlier in the year, we said, by the end of the summer, we're all going to be so tired of taking care of people, let's stop. <clears throat> so we're taking a little vacation. But life goes on, and our life continues. So my advice to whether you walked in off the street right this morning or whether you've been doing this for a decade is, what is the wisdom? What is your intention for your life? As you go forward, what is it that you want to offer? What is it you want to cultivate? What is the wisest part of you? And rather than saying, well, I'm going to get rid of the wisest part of me and go, you know, drink and use drugs, I'm going to get rid of the wisest part of me and go out and party mindlessly and get into trouble with people. Rather than use the, lose the wisest part of you, I encourage you all to not lose the sense of I'm alive right here, I'm responsible for this life right here, and what is the deepest wisdom that I can bring into whatever circumstance I go towards? And that's, of course, true. You walk from everybody, every circumstance in life. How do we cultivate the wisest part of us for the benefit of our future self and for whoever we encounter? Some of you have heard this over and over and over again, and I apologize, sort of. But we are the recipients, we are the beneficiaries of all those decisions that those younger versions of us made. And whether we're in a total muddle of bankruptcy and divorce and our life is falling apart, or whether we happen to be in a kind of heavenly realm right now where all things are moving smoothly, we are the recipient of all those decisions that younger person made. And so I encourage everyone to keep in mind your future self, who's going to be the recipient of all the decisions that you make. So as we practice, to, as we take this little vacation, to go away with the intention of seeing things with a fresh mind, to, to feeling really the, the joy and the appreciation of this life that's coming through us, think, how can I cultivate, even in this week, how can I cultivate my sense of gratitude, my sense of aliveness, my, my warm-heartedness? We'll never regret cultivating wisdom. Never regret cultivating wisdom. We often regret cultivating delusion. So, you know, if you have a choice between cultivating wisdom and cultivating delusion, if you have a choice between cultivating confusion and cultivating clarity, if you have a choice between cultivating self-indulgence or cultivating, you know, a disciplined, uh, refined awareness, I uh, encourage you to make the best choice. And you'll make whatever choice you decide to make, of course, regardless. That's what's been on my mind. On my mind. Um, as parting advice for all of you who are leaving, staying here, taking care of things. Yeah, I don't have much else to say. Anybody want to say something? Any comments, anything we should talk about, any themes, any questions, any objections, any uh, refutations, any... Uh, any anything. Thomas? How many chances do you get to do this right? You get <laughs> one chance. You get one chance over and over to do it right. One chance. And, of course, you know, you may have a heart attack tomorrow. So I'd get started on it. 
great question. How many people had younger selves that made some messes in their life? Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. So you're in good company. All right? So you're, you're in the right place. Yeah. That's the human condition. We all make messes. Okay. But our task is how do we turn them into wisdom? How do we turn, you know, we had a bad time with relationship. Well, how do we learn from that relationship and how do we turn that into wisdom for the next relationship? How do we learn about, if, we have, if we've betrayed people, how do we learn about the heartache and the shame and the guilt that happens when we betray people? And we learn, say, oh, maybe that's not such a skillful thing to do. So I often tell people who are suffering a lot, you're getting a graduate degree, a graduate education in the human condition. You get a learning that you cannot learn cheaply. You get an education that costs you your blood. So you may as well really, really appreciate the education you've got. You may as well turn it into wisdom. You may as well take this particular body-mind and all of the strengths and weaknesses that it has and say, okay, right now I'm going to use all this wisdom I've gotten, all this life experience, and I'm now going to make the most skillful choice I can. And so then, you know, whatever you did in the past can be turned into wisdom to help somebody else. So as you know, all of you know, if you've been involved with 12-step programs, they usually recommend that, that people who are actually in recovery, who know what the path is like, who know what it's like to be really, really, really down and be totally confused and a mess and get out of it, they're often the very best people to help somebody else because they know from the inside. And that's how we turn wisdom, or turn delusion, turn confusion, turn those bad mistakes into wisdom. So I hope you've made lots of bad mistakes in your life. And I hope that you convert all that into wisdom to help others. And the, and the wonderful thing about the mistakes that we made is we didn't make them really on purpose. I mean, yeah, we made a choice at the time. A few people. Well, there's on purpose and there's on purpose out of ignorance. And we did it out of ignorance because looking back, if we'd known the consequences, we wouldn't have done it, right? If we'd really known the full consequences for our life and other people's lives, we wouldn't have done it. But we did it out of ignorance. And, you know, when a child does something out of ignorance, we, our heart opens to them. Oh, we can educate them. We can, hel- we can help them not do that again. So... If, 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 a, if a child trips and falls and breaks the eggs, which they're trying to help carry into the house, then you don't whip them. You say, oh, gosh, let's, let's clean up the eggs. I'll help you. Now, what, how can we prevent that in the future, that from happening? Hmm? Yeah, hold on just a second. So ignorance is correctable. That's, that's the wonderful thing about ignorance. So as we grow, as Hogan said, as we grow, we're just trying to correct our ignorance. And, and see more and more clearly, ah, okay, this, this results in this, and this results in that, so I'm going to steer in a different direction. And you wouldn't be here today if you didn't have that whole path behind you, right? Yeah. If your life had been gloriously happy your whole life, you never made a single mistake, which is impossible for a human being, you wouldn't be here today. So in, in other religions, they talk about redemption, redemption through a higher power or something. Our redemption is all of our life, everything that happened is redeemed when we turn it into wisdom, as, as Hogan said. And then 
we help ourselves, of course, but we can then begin to help others because we're coming from true experience. And people can sense that. Whether you're just going blah, blah, blah from theory or you're talking from, yeah, I, 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 I know this for sure. This is not, this, you want to go that way, not that way. I've been down that path and I had to retrace my steps and go this way. So that's redemption in, the, in this practice. And it's beautiful. Yes, go. Mm-hmm. That he was doing the best he could under the circumstances. Yeah, we can do that for every stage of life. Maybe we made mistakes when we were 25. If we're now 60, we can go back and embrace the 25-year-old and say, yeah, that was tough, wasn't it? Well, I'm here for you. I'm here for you now. Any other questions? It's an inefficient system. You know, the Tibetans have, have this tulku system where you get reborn, and the, and the wise master packages all their wisdom and shoots it off to a newborn baby, and then they're born, and they've they got a big step up on, in the wisdom stairway. <laughs> and I thought, man, that is so efficient. We have to start all over again every time. I remember Hogan's father. Hogan told me that when he was in his early 20s, his father said, if only I could give you all the wisdom I have learned through all the mistakes I have made in life. It would just save you so much trouble. But we're, we're really not, very, we're not able to do that. We each have to learn it for ourselves. Right? But I think that, you know, Thomas, Thomas was asking, you know, do we just get one chance? Well, that's, that's a very interesting question in Buddhism. It's, it's a whole other talk and maybe a series of classes on on how this life goes on. But let's say just the mistakes that we made reverberate out to people around us, and then they carry that on, like Bill's experience with his father. He carries into this lifetime, 
and then how he treats his children, they carry it into their lifetime and their children's lifetime, okay? So it's not, we'll step aside from the idea of rebirth temporarily, but it, it does, whatever we do does reverberate. So whatever we can clean up now is very important for the future. Even though nobody rec recognizes our picture 200 years from now and everything that we created is gone, what we actually do does last lifetime after lifetime. So that's important. That's like I always compare it to the seventh generation toilet paper and paper towels, which comes from an old Indian saying to consider what we do, that it will last for seven generations. So in Buddhism, we'd say more. It lasts forever. So whatever we can clean up, uh, whether it's in the environment or in the outside environment, like using recycled paper and so on, but more importantly, this internal environment. Whatever we can clean up really matters forever. Please. <laughs> She's retired like four times since I've known her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you can learn and can change and grow, which is, gives us delight, right? To know that you have a brain and you can use it and you can learn new things, change, wonderful. Yeah. The reason I pointed to Gloria is Gloria retired, what, twice, three times? As a music teacher and then she's enjoying her retirement and then we got a call from her last week. She accepted a new job. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, Sinead? Um, I was just kind of what you were saying before about how we can't go back to Adam and that that reverberates into the future. And in the, in the opposite sense, it's true. Speak with your voice. Speak with your voice. The opposite sense is also true of, you know, how the masters and said, you know, spend tradition and practice your wisdom, but we also have access to the wisdom that our voice is meant to pour us mm. and learn through our experience. Mm -hmm. And that um, is a manifestation of the, the third mark, you know, that inner coming of self. Mm -hmm. Did everybody hear what she said? That we, we're talking about mistakes and errors, but we also have access to the wisdom that's been developed and cultivated over thousands and thousands of years, and it's flowing through us and manifesting through us, especially if we allow it out. We have tools to cultivate it, right, the tools of, of practice. And then the other important point is when we clean something up here, we're cleaning it up backwards. So time is, is a little wonky in, in Buddhism, like in quantum physics. Time is a little wonky. So when we clean up something in the present, like Bill cleans up what happened with his dad, then that cleans up what his dad did. So that his dad's difficult karma, with the difficult karma that he created, cause and effect, causing suffering, doesn't keep reverberating. Bill was able to say, okay, that's the end of it. It's not going to go forward. I mean, of course, he lived that in his life with his own children. 
But at the moment that he was able to do that exercise and embrace his father, then that stops that difficult karma for his dad. It's a gift he can give to his father, which his father could not give himself. So we can give gifts to people who are no longer with us. That's beautiful, right? So to make this not rational, you have to know something about the, the oneness of all things. You have to actually touch the, the oneness of the past, present, and future all in this present moment. Otherwise, it's just a silly idea. Okay, you're, it's a good question, Miss Ordained. Shanae, how do you do that? You're going on a bike trip. You're not going to be sitting still. It's a good entrance gate. That's the entrance gate. So I hope you pay very close attention when you're riding your bike. <coughs> Any, any last comments? How's our time doing? Going once? Yeah. Go ahead. Speak up. Mm-hmm, right. So... What, what's the what's the personal uh, personal question? We could talk about Plato, but that's you know that's in books. What's your personal question? Say a little bit more about it. For? A tool for what? For what you choose. Uh huh. You don't need to be sorry. It's a good question. Go ahead. How do you decide what to do with the tools? Or what? Why is there something else? Now keep going, because you're asking a deep question. This is the place to ask deep questions. Ah, okay. How do you refine yourself? So that's essentially our business here in a certain in a certain way no because you know you hear talk of enlightenment well what is enlightenment really and we say there are two components to enlightenment there's wisdom and there's compassion and those are essential aspects of our human nature and hogan talked about wisdom so we can take our confusion and our ignorance and we can gradually turn that into wisdom 
We say wisdom beyond wisdom. That means wisdom beyond knowledge. Because knowledge is unfairly distributed, right? Some people get to go to college. Some people don't. Some people know a lot about automobiles. Some people haven't a clue. Some people know about the workings of the human body. Other people don't know. So knowledge is in, in, in unequally distributed. So it's not knowledge. It's not book knowledge. It's wisdom. It's deep wisdom that our, our practice gives us access to when we clear out of the way. It, that, that very deep intuition or uh, insight into the fundamental questions of life. So the, that's what the philosophers were interested in, right? what underlies all, all human existence, all existence, those basic truths. So we have tools to help us access that wisdom, get, our, get out of the way, get our ignorance cleared up, so that we can try to be wise and wiser and wiser in all situations. And then there's compassion, which is the heart's embracing of everything, of all existence, and a kindly, warm, generous attitude towards everything. We all know when our heart is closed, when our heart is hardened, when we feel critical of ourselves or critical of others. We don't like that. It's very uncomfortable because it's not the natural state of our heart. So we have various practices to help us cultivate the kindness and the generosity that's natural and inherent, the foundation of our true heart. So with those two, wisdom and compassion, then we're prepared. We've, we've got the tools we need to go forward in, in life, wherever we're situated. And the third thing I add is a sense of humor about yourself and about the Chosen has and I don't. predicament you do too. <laughs> his, is, his is just weird. We'll get into bed at night and, and we'll be talking and he'll say something and it just cracks me up and I say, oh, you do have a sense of humor. <laughs> But it's very, it just appears here and there, very quirky. <laughs> but enlightenment means to take yourself lightly. Your predicament and, every, and all other predicaments lightly. Because we have to, and that means that we have a big view of it all. A huge view, a huge awareness of it all. And the impermanence of it all. So those are our three, three main tools and the three main ways we cultivate and, and train ourselves. Wisdom, compassion, and a sense of humor. So well, you can refine your question. Go, go, refine it one more time and we'll let Shanae give it. You, can you say it again? Mm -hmm. No, to refine it, go ahead. This is part of teaching. Is just be out front. Do your best. Say something directly. Words are inadequate. We know. We all admit that. Around here, you get that a lot. It's only our expression, <laughs> only way of expressing what's deep in there. What's in there? So limitations and skills and abilities. Uh -huh. We have a genetic endowment, and then we have an environment that gives us some advantages and disadvantages. Yes.
Ja. Ah. Uh-huh. How do you, so how do you use yourself, given that there are limitations, genetic, environmental, the country you're born in, lots of limitations. So we're going to ask Shanae to answer that. Thank you for your question. That was a very nice question. And at lunch, we'll sit you down with some people who can, you can talk with, talk your, talk your language, have your same questions, okay? teaching about all this, work on your posture. Sit erect mm -hmm. with some power. Don't, don't be, don't sit as though you have no power in the world. Really sit erect. And you can just take that as a, as a direct teaching about this particular point. <coughs> okay, thank you all very much. Let's do the four Bodhisattva vows. <coughs>